Hey guys, my name is Lauren and this is Liam. Hello. Welcome to the show and thank you so much for joining us. A big thank you especially to our live viewers. Now we have a, you know what, we have a heavy show. We're going to be discussing some serious topics. Uh, first, we're going to be starting off with the trans son whose father just lost custody of him because he doesn't want him to be trans, among other things. Then we're going to be talking about what it means to be post-political in this crazy political world. Then Miley Cyrus, she is up to shenanigans again, surprising nobody. And uh, we're going to be finishing off the show tonight with a discussion about the growing rot in Christianity. I feel like some people either really love it or really hate it when we talk about Christianity on the show. But That's true. yeah, this was trending. So I feel like it's a it's an excuse to bring it up. Uh, before we get into that, though, I do have a quick message from our awesome sponsors. L. That's the letter L. Um, so they are a period and personal care company focused on giving you organic products without the organic prices, usually organic <laughs> is going to mean something is like at least three to five dollars more. Not the case with Elle. Elle makes tampons, pads, and liners with organic cotton because they believe a natural product just makes sense for a natural process. So they don't use pesticides, chlorine, fragrances, or any dyes. All around the world, there are girls missing school simply because they can't get period products. So what I think is so great about Elle, and I love companies who try to make charity a part of the way they do business, they make a tampon, pad, or liner accessible to a person who needs it for every Everyone that's purchased, which is a very big deal. To date, they've made over 200 million products accessible and counting. And when you get L, you're a part of helping that movement grow. If you go online to their site, this is something that I think is really cool. L also has a subscription program, meaning that if you purchase a product once, you have the option of making it a recurring delivery every single month. So it just means you have one less thing to think about, one less thing to potentially forget about, which is amazing. So you can find L by going to your local Target. They're in Targets everywhere, and they're also in some pharmacies as well. It's the best looking package on the shelf. Look for a clear clear canister with a gold lid or white bags with a large gold circle on the front with the logo L on it. They're also available on Amazon. Um, you can also head on to that's l.com slash Lauren, the letter l.com slash Lauren to get organic tampons, pads, and liners. Uh, that's this is and the letter l.com slash Lauren. And if you use the code Lauren, you just help them know that it's our show who sent, sent you there and kind of told you about them. So getting into some clown world craziness. Our first story is one that's been getting a lot of attention online. That's certainly how I found out about it. And it's definitely right up our alley in terms of topics. A mother and father are currently in a custody battle of their two seven-year-old sons. And what makes this newsworthy different than other custody battles you might hear about is that one of the boys the mother claims is trans and should be transitioning into a girl. The father very much disagrees. We have a summary here. And just by the way, guys, I currently have an amazing case of the sniffles. So sorry if yeah. I sound stuffy. Lauren might also be out of it tonight because as if anyone who follows us on Twitter, you might know that she is on uh, painkillers. So uh, she I might took be, uh, two Tylenols. Shocking. She might be a little bit out of it. She's a little bit loopy, you know. Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so as Breitbart, Breitbart reports, Jury decides against dad seeking to block seven-year-old son from gender transition drugs. A jury in Dallas, Texas, decided Monday against a father seeking to block his ex-wife's plan to start their seven-year-old son on puberty blockers and ultimately cross-sex hormones in order to facilitate gender transition. The jury decided James's mother, Dr. Anne Jorgoulis, a pediatrician, has full authority to continue his transition the transition of James, who is being renamed Luna, reported LifeSite News. 
James's mother sought to terminate Younger's parental rights, who is the father, because James behaved as a boy when he was with his father. Drogulus has diagnosed James with gender dysphoria, a psychological disorder that is characterized by a child's persistent, consistent, and insistent assertion of their cross-gender statements and behaviors. The court prohibited Younger from dressing him as a boy or from sharing faith-based or biologically-based scientific teachings on sexuality, even though family friends who have observed James when he is in his father's care reportedly affirm he dresses and behaves as a boy by his own choosing. This is not the first case of let's say, uh, custody coming no. into question because of the whole trans issue. But what makes this case, I guess, kind of alarming is that this isn't coming from California or New York, like yeah. these liberal bastions where we've heard about this so much before. This is from Texas. And yeah. I know Texas is becoming increasingly purple as Californians flee from the mess of California that they have created with their liberal policies and bring them to places like Texas and Arizona. But still... Hearing that this is in, in Texas and not, you know, Los Angeles or somewhere in Canada, it should worry people. That was what stuck out to me the most, certainly. Yeah. And I mean, you guys know what my position on trans children is. I feel like if you're an adult, call yourself whatever you want, right. do whatever you want with your body. Uh, you know, there's a chance I'm not going to agree with your choices, but at the end of the day, you're an adult, you do you. When it comes to children, though, um, children aren't mentally developed. That's a scientific fact. I don't support children getting credit cards. I don't support them signing contracts, smoking, drinking. Uh, and I certainly don't support them making decisions about what gender they are. Uh, my rule is if you're too young to responsibly choose what your bedtime is and whether or not you can eat dessert before dinner, then you're probably too young to choose your gender. That's my approach. Um, but as we can clearly see, that's a viewpoint that's, I think the, the majority of people still share, but it's becoming less and less common among certain institutions. Yeah. I've had someone tell me that you only need a small percentage of society to actually shift yeah. how society works. And I think that this is a, just a perfect example of that where yeah. you have these radicals essentially telling everybody else how they have to live. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Because I mean, despite what the average person thinks, look, the American Psychiatric and Psychological Associations support the existence and the transition of like these so-called trans kids. So I mean, viewpoints like ours that, hey, maybe we should wait before we start giving children hormones and stuff. The, those are the minority fringe positions that are not being accepted in mainstream academia and yes. dare I say, even medicine. And um, so just something that's not mentioned in the Breitbart article, but I've been reading other things and do want to clarify. Apparently, the mother is not saying that she wants to put the seven-year-old on gender or hormone blockers right now, which is like a, a, a statement I would love to have never said, but she hasn't ruled out the possibility of doing it when he gets older. So from my understanding, what the mother is wanting to do right now is socially transition, yeah. um, including keeping the child away from anyone who doesn't affirm that he is a, a, a girl, uh, but that I think hormone blockers would only potentially come into the picture maybe when they're 9, 11 or whenever puberty starts. Now, one thing that stuck out to me about this, too, by the wording of the article, is I understood that she is the pediatrician doctor, right, mm -hmm. who diagnosed, also the mother, who diagnosed her own son's gender yeah, dysphoria. Yeah, he has been to see other people other, I as assume well, but so, yeah. but yeah, it seems, 
it seems like they would definitely give weight to that and that ought not to be the case right yeah you can't be diagnosing your family it's not it's not it's illegal in most places in fact exactly uh, so, and it's very yeah it seems concerning to me yeah and i think to me when i look at this whole trans child phenomenon like there are several um conditions mental conditions that you actually cannot receive a diagnosis of if you are a minor, especially if you are as young as someone like seven, I think um, bipolar is one of these things, mm. personality disorder, just because a lot of the symptoms of different psychological conditions, they might appear more prominent among young people because young people are prone to being more emotional, uh, identity crises and all of these things. So it makes it hard. But for some reason, um, that type of thinking doesn't apply to gender dysphoria. You know, it totally fine to just say that a kid has it. I did an interview a couple months ago with trans activist Julie Goldstein. I very much disagree with what Julie said, but I, I do appreciate that she came on. It was very, very cordial, very nice. And um, she explained and she's very knowledgeable about the process that children have to go through to transition now. And although it's shocking to me that this is even a thing, as much as I might object to it, this is the reality. And I encourage anyone who's interested and concerned about this topic to go watch that interview because we need to understand what's happening and what is being pushed yeah. as mainstream medicine right now. Um, from what it's from what's been shared about the story, this particular case, it seems like the evidence that's been put forward to support this young boy being trans includes things like him identifying as Elsa from Frozen, mm. I think is what really set it off. Um, he apparently likes to play dress up in dresses. And it was also reported that when his mother told him to pick a girl's name, he wanted to use Starfire, which is the name of a cartoon character. But then she to told him to choose like a different name. And that's how Luna came about. He's now being referred to as Luna. Um, so like, you, you can't choose your own name because you're a child and you're going to choose a stupid name from a cartoon because that's what kids do. But you, you're totally fine to identify it as, as whatever you want. So some people who hear this might be thinking, hang on a second. Do those things actually make someone like a little boy trans like there's a character in, in a movie who's a female he wants to be like her he's put on a dress during uh, playtime are, are those things actually grounds for saying a child is trans um, yes y yes. They are right now, actually. And uh, I, I go through this more in detail with my interview with Julie, but we actually have the diag diag diagnostic criteria that's used on gender dysphoric kids or whatever it is here. So this is from the American Psychiatric Association. So this is not just some fringe, fringe Tumblr trans activist blog. This is what is actually being used to determine whether kids should be getting puberty blockers or not. It says, in children, gender dysphoria diagnosis involves at least six of the following and an associated significant distress or impairment in function lasting at least six months. So these are the things, the eight things that people will look for when they're diagnosing whether a, a child has gender dysphoria. They're expected to have at least six of the eight, okay? A strong desire to be of the other gender or an insistence that one is the other gender. Sounds pretty straightforward, but I remember when I was a kid, I, I would call myself a dinosaur. So I don't know how much weight we can be putting into how children self-identify. They go on to say, a strong preference for wearing clothes typical of the opposite gender. <laughs> okay, so what does that mean if you're a little girl? Like, if you're a little girl and you want to play as a policeman... Are you, are, you, are you 
breaking boundaries and saying like, look, I can be whatever I want on my girl. Or are you actually manifesting gender right. dysphoria? Because that was those my point. Because it seems like what he could be doing is perfectly normal. And, and like even what a progressive would want is like, yeah, well, because like gender isn't clothing like, is yeah. a social construct. Right, exactly. But instead they're like, no, instead you actually, He's clearly you actually are binary. Yeah. <laughs> you actually are. And you're the opposite of what you, of what you were born as. Yeah. So just, you know, Oops. effeminate boys and Tomboy girls be danged. Apparently, we're really leaning into the binary. Uh, they continue a strong preference for cross-gender roles in make-believe play or fantasy play. Again, like, what does that mean? Like, you wanted to be, you pretend to be, like, the girl character. Therefore, this is a, a sign that you are a trans girl. We have a friend who, I think you mentioned in games, always wants to be the girl character. Yeah, I don't get that. Yeah, but is, like, is that uh, an example? Uh, well, of he might be dysphoria? at this point. I mean... <laughs> I'm only banting, of course. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, so it's it's pretty ridiculous. I would think that that would be like a sign of like a comfortable new masculinity that you're you're comfortable yeah. role playing as the female. I don't know. Uh, they also continue a strong preference for the toys, games, or activities stereotypically used or engaged in by the other gender. A strong preference for playmates of the other gender. A strong rejection of toys, games, and activities typical of one's assigned one's assigned gender. So at this, okay, <laughs> this doesn't make sense. We're living in a time where we're being told that the idea that there's boy toys or girl toys is socially constructed and damaging for children because it inhibits their growth and puts them in these boxes. But at the same time, we're being told that if your child who is a girl wants to play with boy toys, she's probably actually a trans boy. Because like, so preference in toys is so innate, it can actually signal gender dysphoria, but at the same time, it's completely socially constructed and gender is meaningless. Like you, you, you can't have it both ways. And what should be concerning to people is just how loose and seemingly random these criteria are. They continue though, uh, a strong dislike of one's sexual anatomy. Okay, that's maybe like the first genuine one I could see would raise red flags and a strong desire for the physical sex characteristics that match one's experience gender. So, you know, I, I want kids to be happy, to be able to, you know, play with whatever toys they play with. I think if you're someone who's saying, no, uh, my little girl can't play with Hot Wheels, which I, I really don't think anyone does, but hypothetically, I don't think that's right. I think, you know, kids should be able to explore whatever playtime and th they want, I just feel like if you take, let's say, a neurotic, progressive, virtue-signaling parent, you give them maybe a tomboy or an effeminate little boy, and you give them this list, I think it's it's going to be very likely that they start saying, oh, hey, hang on a second. Yeah. Maybe there's something there. Maybe I have a trans child. I need to support that. And then they go to the, the pediatrician with their son or mm -hmm. their daughter and they say, hey, tell the, tell the doctor about this time where you did that and this. And they lead everything, you know, so, exactly. so that there's only one logical conclusion. Yeah. And that's exactly what is kind of the contention in the case because the, the father is saying, hang on a second, like when, when the child is with me. He's perfectly happy being called James. He dresses like a boy. He signs his name as a boy. I don't see anything like that. And what's what's frustrating to me is that even if with his mother, this little boy is playing dress up, being feminine, whatever, that still doesn't mean that he needs to transition as a girl. Like what happened to just little boys being able to play dress up and it's innocent for a while. And maybe that's something they grow out of. And actually speaking of that, desistance is something that's it's when... Children who identify as trans or exhibit 
signs of gender dysphoria actually grow out of it more often than not. Um, these numbers are contested. I think more research needs to be done of it, but it's actually right now the standing numbers, I think anywhere from 65 to 85% of kids who experience gender dysphoria do grow out of it and continue to identify as cis adults. And that's that's fine. And I think if we go into it with the mindset that now they've ex expressed some confusion or exploration, now we need to completely transition them you're going to be causing more problems for these kids than not because the odds are, and statistics show this, this is just a phase. This is just curiosity and exploring. We shouldn't shame these kids for that because, you know, yeah. it's it's natural to a certain point. Um, and, and I just worry that we have these parents who probably do want, think they're helping, potentially actually greatly hurting their children. And I know when I was speaking with Julie, she was saying, it's like, well, we're just starting with a social transition. So what's the harm if they change their mind later? For a trans activist who talks so much about the dangers of being misgendered, you don't understand the harm that, the bullying, yeah, the yeah. living as a like socially transitioned girl for years on end, if that's not, you don't understand why that would be problematic for a child, if it ends up just being a run of the mill child, which is likeliest the case. Um, and he, the problem here is that, you know, listening to the story, I'm sure a lot of us are freaked out, scared for the kid, but it may be at the back of our minds, we're thinking, well, that will never happen to my kid because my spouse isn't crazy. We're not going to be, you know, thrown into this court thing. But, but you have it, your kid in daycare. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm going to say. If the precedence is set, which it's looking like it is, that not recognizing your child's new gender identity or whatever is child abuse, it won't matter whether you and your spouse are on the same page that you don't want them to transition. Like if there's a teacher out there, yeah. a doctor, a nurse who who says that, you know, that's what the kid is and you're the ones who are denying it, the, the end result is going to be the same. Your child is going to be taken from you. There will be nothing stopping this. Um, you know, this is already kind of, I think, law in Canada. Um, we've seen different cases of this in the States. Um this is scary. I think if you're a parent or you're thinking of becoming a new parent, this is definitely something I'm thinking about when I'm thinking about where you want to raise your kids. This should be... It's becoming an increasingly narrow spectrum of places, right? Yeah, I mean, where you, you won't have your kid taken from you for saying, I don't I don't know. I don't know if we should be, you know, calling him Luna, making him wear dresses at school and all that just because he wants to be Elsa from Frozen. I mean, maybe at this point we do need to make sure that our daughters don't play with Hot Wheels. Yeah, just like maybe, like, just like, in case so that some, you know, overzealous kindergarten teacher doesn't start saying like, oh, by the way, yeah. your child has gender dysphoria. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's, that's just like, it's a dystopia. I, I don't understand it. And Oh, goodness. I know looking at the social media comments from this, there are all these people who are saying, no, the father is abusive. Well, he should be, he is right to have his custody taken away. The only signs of abuse that I could see are him refusing to call his son by Luna, which previously in a different case, the mother did try to have him, like, I guess, charged with child abuse for, for not referring to him for Tragic. with the name that she prefers. It's This is clown world. Um, I think we all just need to... Keep up to date with this story. I don't know if the father is going to be challenging this, but if he does, like, and he needs to raise money for lawyers or whatever it may be, I think a lot of people would be more than happy to donate for him because they're scared of what's going to happen to this little boy. And I think for a lot of people, this is all about affirming an ideology, insisting, yeah, no, trans identity is real. I, I don't know that for everybody, the child's well-being is the main concern, which it should be. All right. So um, before we move on to our next segment, I actually did want to mention we're going to be at Politicon this coming oh, yeah, weekend right. in, in Tennessee. 
Uh, I have a panel on Saturday and another one on Sunday. I'm actually going to be on a panel with Lauren Duca, who's a, a feminist we did a, a segment about. So that's going to mm. be interesting. And it's going to be about feminism, the panel. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And we're also doing a meet and greet Sunday. That's right. Before my, one of my panels. I think it's at 1130. So if you're in the Tennessee, Nashville area. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, there's going to be, I think, Anna Kasparian is doing a, a conversation with Tommy Lahren. There's going to be a lot of people there. So encourage you to check it out if you can make it. Now, this past Monday was the Canadian elections and Prime Minister Blackface was victorious. Yeah, Canada will be keeping its liberal government. And as disappointing as that is for a lot of Canadians right now, um, I did want to take this opportunity to discuss the idea of being post-political. That's It's something that came up in a recent video we did about the rise of Jordan Peterson, which is the, the documentary about Dr. Peterson, obviously. And some of you did express interest about hearing more on that topic. So here we are. Uh, we are living in an age where everything is political, right? Uh, music, movies, gender, relationships, uh, math even. Seattle is instituting like this ethnic studies math thing to talk about how, I don't know, white people appropriated math from it. I don't know. But it's like everything is political. We can't get away from it. Right? Yeah. The, uh, Algebra. On. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think as political as everything is right now, we see that the result of this is that everybody is miserable. People yeah. are unhappy. You can't talk about anything without being canceled. Everything is divisive. Um, it's not a nice way to live. I think we're, I think we're seeing this. I mean, are, do you find Twitter a nice place? Is that a fun area to be in? As as you guys could probably tell, if you do follow me on Twitter, <laughs> yeah, I try to avoid it as best I can. Yeah. Normally, I, it, it's it's awful, and I mean, it's in every it's in everything now. I mean, I was just talking with my my youngest sibling the other day who was telling me about the politics in his high school. In Canada, we graduate high school at 17. Um, well, no, just Quebec. Uh, yeah, Quebec. Yeah. Quebec in particular. Uh, we, we graduate high school at 17. And talking about people at that high school that I went to having political positions. And that was like not a case. When no. I was 17, it was just like, you're just 17. Yeah. You know? And uh, and I was like, man, that that that's really tragic. And then in my own in my own life, definitely, I'm, I'm very much tired of living in a... Um, a hyper liberal environment and uh, holding to my convictions. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it is definitely uh, tiresome. Yeah. And I mean, don't get me wrong. Politics are important. Policy is important. Yeah. Um, you know, coming into the near future, we might be doing some more videos that are specifically targeted to policy. But I think what we need to understand is that politics isn't everything. And policy alone is not enough to make either societies or individuals happy or thrive, right? No matter how good the laws are, you can't take a society of unhappy, of broken people, give them some good policy and expect that everything's going to end up okay because that's not how it works. All right, politics is downstream from culture. We always hear that, yeah, yeah, which is true. That's 100% true. Yeah, I think it is, yeah. But what we don't understand is that culture is downstream from individuals and their individual spiritual and mental states, right? So we have individuals here at the top Below them, we have culture, and then below that, politics. We're so focused on the last stage of the equation on politics. We're trying to fix everything from, from something that is, is really the result cause, yeah. not the solution. And, and I by mean, that point, it's much harder to control. Of right? course. You know, the, the river is easier to dam further up. Exactly. Case, so it's... And, and, you know, our political system, 
I think it's fair to say no matter what country you're in, if it's the UK, if it's Canada or the US, we can all admit like it's trash, right? It's trash everywhere. It doesn't matter where you live. Uh, our, our culture is trash. It's just like pure, I don't know, hedonism, degeneracy, but at the same time, nihilism, materialism. Yeah. It, it, it's terrible. We're not in a good place. And I'm realizing more and more that these things are trash because we are trash, because like we as individuals have all of these problems. Um, you know, the family structure is in shambles, churches are receding, uh, communities are fragmented. And d- despite all those problems, like anytime there's a problem that someone identifies, their first, uh, for so many people, their first instinct is to say, how can government fix this? And it's like, government should be the last thing that's getting involved in, in all of these things. And I'm not, that's not just the libertarian part of me talking, that's just like, from a pragmatic standpoint, they're not that effective of it. They're they're removed from it. Mm-hmm. So, but in, instead of saying what can we do as family members, friends, individuals, churches, communities, we're just saying okay, let's let's have the state fix it. And I mean, I understand that to some degree because it's a lot easier to say let's make new laws and everything will be fixed rather than say hey maybe we need to work on ourselves. Maybe if we want things to be better, we have to work on our individual behavior. Right. Maybe if like we're so concerned about like this massive debt, not that policy doesn't play a part in that, but maybe we sh- maybe we should actually be spending less. Right. If we're so concerned about, you know, the divide between men and women, like, yeah, these all these like government mandated seminars in, in the workplace or in schools, that that's fine. But how about we actually just, I don't know, spend more time with our, our, our families and and our partners? I mean, to me, being post-political, it, it's not just that I'm I'm tired of politics and hearing people complain about the same stupid partisan things every yes. day, yeah. Russiagate, Ukraine gate, uh, impeachment now, and it things like nothing really comes of it. It never changes, which is why we haven't really bothered to talk about it because it's like, well, next week it's just going to be a new more story. Nothing will yep. change. It's more of the same. Um, to me, being post political is also realizing that like if we genuinely want to fix our society, we need to look beyond politics because politics. They can't fix things. They're not going to fix us as people. They're not going to fix our communities. Um, if you look at all the different political systems out there, like I, you know, I don't really support um, something like a, a universal healthcare system. I think it comes with a lot of problems. But at the same time, if you look at a community like Hong Kong, which aside from now historically has had their stuff together, right? Everyone has a job. Everyone's educated. You can have bad policies in a put together society. And, and, and they might still work. You could have no policies in a put-together society, and yep. they might still work. It, it's only when things are in breakdown mode that politics becomes so important. But then at that point, it's too late. You're trying to, I guess, buffer something that's crumbling from the inside. It, it's not going to work. Um, and, you know, that's not just me trying to point my finger at all of you guys saying you all need to get your stuff in order and, you know, clean your own rooms. I think, like, that's something that I, I take to heart a, a lot as well is because, you know, being in political punditry commentary or social commentary, I think looking at other people who do the same thing, it can be very draining. Um, you know, Jordan Peterson, he recently spoke very honestly in an interview about the stresses he faces um, just being under constant social media criticism. And that's something that you hear a lot on the left, especially, but it's not just from the left. It's If, if you're online talking about politics, it's going to get heated. You're going to get a lot of crap. You're going to get threats. It's going to be negative. I mean, if you're online in any capacity, exactly. but, um, politics is the, the, the worst of the worst in terms mm-hmm. of what you hear back from the audience. And yeah. I mean, a lot of, most people are great, but you get some extremely negative feedback, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and not to mention, there's just the, the possibility that you will be burnt out talking about these subjects. I mean, it's like, 
a lot of us, what we do, and I certainly do this, especially since we do this show, like when we look at the news, we're essentially, we're bombarded with the worst stories out there, the most yeah. outrageous, the the worst examples that does weigh on your psyche. And, you know, looking at, obviously, Dr. Peterson has other things going on in his life right now, but it, it really showed me that if you want to be able to just be able to function effectively in politics, you need to make your life about more than politics, right? Because ultimately, politics is going to drain you out it's going to burn you out it's going to make you salty and bitter and such an inefficient machine that you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to fix it with you're not gonna be able to fix much frankly right you know? we've and seen trump ran on drain the swamp and we're still in a situation where it's like mm -hmm. there's still a swamp unfortunately yes it's so. stronger than ever in a lot of ways it seems so i think we all need to kind of take a page out of jordan peterson's book and just clean our own rooms right the, the world is going insane around us sure but don't use that as an excuse to throw away any desire for a healthy spiritual life, healthy family life, healthy career, because there's still a lot of fulfilling things you can do just focusing on yourself, even as the world around you is just burning up in flames entirely, right? And I think if we were all to do that, then maybe we wouldn't be in the situation where everything is burning in, in flames around us. Yeah. You know, if we focus on ourselves, improving on our, improving ourselves, getting our stuff together and encourage other people do the same. I think we're also going to find that political activism then becomes more useful, right? Because in politics right now, doesn't matter what country you're in, again, Canada, US, UK, it's all the same. There are people out there offering others lots of free crap. Free mm -hmm. college, um, I don't know, UBI, take your pick. We just lost an election here in Canada. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was a all lot these... of that was about the, the, the freebies that the Trudeau government. Has exactly. Just less and... responsibility. That's yeah. what the government is now offering people. Um, you can't win against that. If you're in a culture, which we are, that really prioritizes free stuff all the time. It's all about me. Yeah. I want to do as little as possible to get the most return. You're not you're not concerned about how you can help your country or your fellow citizens. It's all about what the government can do for you. Um, if, if you're a conservative libertarian or e even if you're just a liberal who doesn't want that vision of society you can't win against that and it's it's depressing but it, it is the reality and maxim bernier who we've had on the show before um he sadly lost his seat in parliament after this past election yeah. um he used to say i'm not going to appeal to your emotions i'm going to appeal appeal to your intelligence mm -hmm. which sounds great but even as he was saying it i knew that's not going to work in this day and age Right. No. We are living in a society and a culture that's convinced itself that feelings are as good as fact. What you feel determines objective reality until we start breaking down people's perception of that. It doesn't matter what else you're going to say. It doesn't matter how strongly you lobby for personal responsibility. They're in the mindset that it's just me, 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 take, take, take all the time. And unless we begin to address that mentality then any type of political advocacy is just going to be useless it's, it's politics just becomes a game of i guess trying to buy people's votes with with, with the best freebies which is what yeah. we're we're living in right now and you know this is clown world but despite that i I'm going to focus on my job, my family, you know, look for a safe place to raise kids, go to church, do whatever I can to provide myself with some order and structure. And I would encourage all of you guys to do the same because I think there's, you know, when we look at all things like the Canadian election, um, you know, Brexit isn't going well for our, our friends across the pond. There is this 
Um, I think maybe tendency some people might have to become very demoralized, to become very nihilistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they'd start doing crazy things like supporting Andrew Yang just to you yeah. know watch the world <laughs> burn. Um, my hope is that you guys don't do that. Regardless of how politics is going, there are still a lot of strides that you could be making in your personal life, in our communities, in your churches, so many different things. So I guess to me, that's... I'm more and more kind of leaning that post-political side. Again, it doesn't doesn't mean policy is not important. It is. If there's an election, you go vote, vote your conscience, you know, educate yourself. But uh, it's not everything. It's not going to save us. And I think more people need to realize that. And actually, you've been pretty disillusioned for longer than me, I think. Yeah, I've been well, I've been on I've been disillusioned for years. You know, mm-hmm. I, I still go out there and I vote, but I mean, it's 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 almost difficult because I'm a producer of a political show. And it's like, <laughs> all right, well, we have to find topics, but yeah, I don't care about any of these. Almost, yeah, and you know? that's and, like uh, that's what I find so much. Like, I'll get people saying, "Why don't you talk about this?" And it's like because it literally doesn't matter. You know, the news cycle is going to change in three days. No one's going to be talking about this, and it will have changed nothing for anybody. Yeah, that's yeah. that's the case for a lot of politics. All right, so our our light segment for the show, you know, just to spruce things up a little bit, we're going to be talking about Miley Cyrus. Um, yes. So <laughs> she, she's gifted us with, with quite a few segments. Thank goodness for her. Yeah, Miley Cyrus. So she recently caused a stir by asserting that, quote, you don't have to be gay. That's on true. an Instagram live stream. It is true. You don't have yeah. to be gay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but, you know, people aren't happy. Uh, for context, because I'm sure... Most of you are not keeping up with the adventures of Miley Cyrus. So she Although was... too many people are, too, to be yeah. honest. I saw the numbers today. She has 100.5 million Instagram followers. Yeah. And something like 40 plus million Twitter followers. It's oh, like, yeah. That's insane. That's insane. I mean, it's the same with the Kardashians. But especially Miley. Like, why Miley? Why yeah. do people pick Miley Cyrus, you know? That's crazy. I know. There are more wholesome celebrities out there, even if you do want to follow a, a celebrity. Um, so, okay, like I said, for context... Several months ago, she divorced her husband, Liam Hemsworth, who she had only been married to for several months, Mm. um, started dating a woman like immediately after they broke up, surprising no one. Now she has a new boyfriend and they were doing an Instagram live video together, which is where this infamous clip came from. And we have that video here. I was just being like, I don't know, hardcore feminist vibes and just like, I don't know, not allowing anyone in, but now I am. There are good men out there, guys. Don't give up. You don't have to be gay. There are good people with d- out there. You just gotta find them. You gotta find a d- on a d- you know what I mean? <laughs> you don't have to be gay. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I always thought I had to be gay because I just thought, like, all guys were evil, but it's not true. There are good people out there that just happen to have d- I've only think. ever met one, but... I've only ever met one. People didn't like that. People did not like that at all. Uh, And as soon as I saw the clip that was being passed around, I I immediately understood, yeah, that's the problem. You can't say that. Um, She's right, though. You don't have to be gay. It's true. You're still allowed to be heterosexual. Yeah, it is is still acceptable. Um, But it kind of sounds like she bought into the whole political lesbianism thing. So we we did a a show a while ago about political lesbianism, and there's this... uh, there's this kind of hardcore, I think people would call her a turf feminist, Julie Bindle, who actually unironically asserts that because men are so trash, just date women. Because yeah. otherwise you're no. assisting the patriarchy. Yeah, furthermore, you're immoral for not dating women. You, yeah. are, you are dating the enemy. You are. Yeah, you exactly. Um, so she says like, yeah, just make the choice to be attracted to women. Yes. I think she I, she's just like, 
I don't think it's a choice for her. Though. I think she really is just like a lesbian who. But anyway, um, so it kind of sounds like Miley Cyrus, in a way, bought into that. She was trying. Yeah. You know, and man, I got to say, first of all, I mean, we're a political show. We try to be polite and everything like that. But man, I can't, I can hardly get through a video of that woman. She's like, what, 26 or 28 or something Something like that? Something like that. She sounds like she's 45 and she's on the Alex Jones smoking plan. (laughs) Like, I mean, it's just, it's, and you know that she smells like cats as well. That's just, that's what I've commented on. Like, there was like a image of her she doesn't look like she smells good i don't know i don't know maybe that's just my projection of her political but it just doesn't seem clean i don't know um but yeah as you can imagine people were not too thrilled with her saying that we have some uh some responses that people were posting online i thought it'd be fun to go through them so this one person says Miley Cyrus using queer identity to forge herself a new persona to gain attention and then turns around and claims you don't have to be gay. You just got to find a good, uh, you know, male genital the moment it doesn't serve her narrative anymore. And that's true because like she recently released this whole album where it was like this big feminist statement about being queer. And she was giving interviews before she broke up with her husband about how what it means to be a queer woman in a straight relationship. I remember that quote specifically because it was the weirdest thing ever. Is she still queer now? Does like, uh, listen, does this I mean think, she doesn't have to be gay? Does that mean that she is straight? I'm like, what is it that? It could change from day to day. Yeah, you know? who knows? Sometimes, several times within the same day, at the same time, nobody knows. Um, but yeah, I think there are a lot of people who were, when she said that, kind of felt like it was uh, almost like rainbow corporatism. Yeah. And I, I completely believe that this is what this is, or that some celebrities, specifically these younger female celebrities are doing, they claim to be queer or pansexual whatever it is to make a a statement get social media attention get all of the support and meanwhile they're dating another guy maybe the guy identifies as non-binary in which case it is a queer trans relationship but at the end of the day it's like man he looks like it seems like straight with extra steps yeah rick and morty yeah (laughs) that's true but he looks like marginally i'm looking at his eyes during that video whenever they're not like hearts or whatever right but it's like he looks mildly like uh uh-oh (laughs) <laughs> this is this this is a this dangerous is, person yeah no run for this the is, hills yeah, yeah. warning out, sign should be going off if they weren't already i don't know what kind of person dates miley cyrus someone who likes money i guess I yeah don't know. i don't know attention uh, yeah. now, this other person says miley cyrus has been consistently racist and transpo- transphobic for the longest time with racism being her whole brand are people truly surprised she's lesbophobic too so i thought this one was interesting because i I, again, I don't like Miley Cyrus. People have probably gotten that by, yes. but how is she racist and transphobic? What is that? Where is that coming from? I don't know. I mean, I feel like they probably think people like this probably think that most celebrities are racist. Right? Yeah, just like, because they haven't. I don't know. They haven't done some sort of like ritual yeah. uh, where you worship the other have, races have or been, whatever. I haven't been doing enough self-flagellation yes, as a exactly. white person on yeah. social media. She hasn't dated anybody who's trans. Clearly that's transphobic. I also now hate she's the term lesbophobic. lesbophobic. That's the first time I'm here. I don't this. like it. I'd much rather even lesphobic, like, you know, just, but lesbophobic. lesbophobic. Is, it sounds uh, like not a real thing. No. I don't know. No, but they're good at they're good at making new words and co-opting old words. These yeah, people. especially it's, like it's like dangerous. phobias. They're good at making new phobias. So who knows? I just brought this up because it's like I often get called racist and transphobic. So I thought it would be nice to like, oh look, who also is racist and transphobic? You know, mm-hmm. just a crazy crazy world we live in. Okay, so this person's a verified check mark, so you know it's going to be good. But she actually makes a point here. Steph Froch says apparently Miley Cyrus said women don't have to be gay because there are good men out there. 
like it's a choice, as if I woke up one day and thought, hmm, do I want cereal for breakfast or would I rather spice up my life with some depression, bullying, and homophobia? So, yeah, I think that was what a lot of people had yeah. problems with, the idea that it is a choice. Um, this person said, in response to Miley Cyrus... Lesbians slash bi women already have a hard time being taken seriously as many people don't believe it's a real thing for women and you just made a mockery and reinforced the stereotype that women are only gay because of their past experiences with men. Disappointed crying emoji. So, okay, I will say to that, we did a video a while a while ago about um, how society is getting gayer mm -hmm. and it didn't actually receive as much pushback or controversy as I thought, but... We go through the studies and like this is it's scientifically supported that especially for women, your sexuality is influenced um, by environmental factors. That's different than saying it's a choice because, you know, right. something like PTSD, for example, is influenced by en environmental factors doesn't mean it's a choice. But yeah, so it's like sexuality, especially for women, it can be influenced and. I think someone like Miley Cyrus, I, I don't have a hard time believing that she was in the you know mindset like, oh, this is everyone's doing it. This is super cool. It's Maybe empowering. It's empowering. Maybe I had a bad breakup and mm -hmm. now I think all all men are jerks. So I don't know, but it also kind of reinforces the the impression that I at least have had for a long time that among these hardcore feminists, it's it's not that men are trash. Maybe you just have bad tastes in men, perhaps. I don't know. Or, or maybe they're just not worth good men dating. Yeah, exactly. Maybe honest, you're the problem here. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. And that's actually what some people uh, were, were bringing up. And I was like having a great time on Twitter reading all this stuff. That's, that's like sometimes Twitter can be fun when it's like it's drama I'm not involved in and is not political. So it doesn't really matter. Uh, I guess it's still bad for society that we care this much. But um, <laughs> people were kind of saying that, hang on a second, she's like totally essentially bashing every single guy she's dated like yeah i you're the first good per good guy that i've met and furthermore just all men as well all men, right yeah. which i noticed that nobody took offense to that it yeah. was like all men are crap i know and the lgbt community was like all right so like <laughs> but what about <laughs> what, what about, about the homophobia? gay thing yeah, yeah it's like wait a second this sounded very misandrous right exactly so i mean i will say she did release an apology and i'll, I'll read that out yeah. for us here and she says I was talking smack about sucky guys, but let me be clear, you don't choose your sexuality. You are born as you are. It has always been my priority to protect the LGBTQ community I am a part of. Rainbow, happy Monday. Yeah, but this is, so she's saying she's still part of the LGBTQ community, but it's like, how though? If you're saying you don't have to be gay, because now there's a good guy there, which is like fine, whatever day who you want, but it's like, you... you you still want to claim to be part of the Lgbtq also what she said in her apology is like the exact opposite of oh, what yeah, she was talking about oh yeah that's not an about. apology like there was no yeah there was no apology and she just contradicted herself and was like whatever i put a rainbow in like me please yeah send and tweet <laughs> it worked i mean it didn't get ratioed i was kind of surprised i was yeah. like why do people why would you accept that? That is like the most mediocre thing I've ever heard. Yeah, but she's part of the LGBTQ community. Mm -hmm. She's choosing now to live as a gay man, essentially, is <laughs> the equivalent of this apology. She's Trisha Paytas now. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know. And I feel like there, this kind of like LGBTQ identity and like this makes really big waves online, but I, I, I feel like for the vast majority of people they don't even know what we're talking about they don't care what we're talking about i really wonder 
I mean, how this kind of marketing tactic works on places like middle America or even internationally, right? Because I mean, yeah, over here, we're all yelling at genders and bathroom usage pronouns. But I mean, other countries have other problems. So I don't know. I, I feel like just this is not a good time for the West. Not, no. not at all. No. Um, okay, so also I, I'm seeing that you guys are giving super chats, which is awesome. And just want to say that if it's your first time watching, um, don't worry. We will be going through all of those at the end of the stream. So in about 15 minutes, just stay on here. We're going to be addressing your comments, questions, concerns, all of that. And uh, if you did want to find a different way to support the show, you can, of course, always head on to blazetv.com slash Lauren and subscribe using the code Lauren. Not only do you help us out over here, but you also um, save money on your annual subscription and you get a ton of other great shows to watch on Blaze TV. So it's a good deal all around. Now, um, the rot in Christianity. This is uh, Whoa. this is how we're finishing off the show. That's dark. It is. And you, this is a topic that I've been thinking about quite a bit lately and it's gotten me pretty fired up. Not going to lie. Uh, I have a lot to say about this, but we're, we're going to try to be succinct and calm. That's that's the goal for this segment. So I, I know a lot of people who watch the show aren't Christian. Even if you're not, this is kind of what what's happening all over society. And I, I think you could still get a lot out of hearing about this. So recently I saw the term Pachamama that made and most likely is not how you pronounce it, but that was trending on Twitter, and all of the lovely Catholic friends that I follow on the platform seem, seem to be really fired up about something. Um, so I was intrigued. So I, I looked into it, and as it turns out, at the Vatican, uh, recently they were having a sort of conference about the church in the Amazonian area, and some figurines of Pachamama, who is, from what I gather, a fertility goddess, were set up in this one church. And... That's the background of the situation. Oh, and before that, even the Pope was, you know, um, praying not to them, but like... Yeah, they know, were they being involved like, in some of the, like... Yeah, like they were they were giving an honor of a, to it in some capacity. In some of the masses, yeah. yeah. Um, so what was trending was that apparently some Catholic men went at night into the church, took the idols, and threw them in the river, recorded it, posted it online, um... And people had a lot, of, lot to say about it. We have a video explaining things here. Good evening, Wyatt. We first saw this statue during our prayer service in the Vatican Gardens at the beginning of the month to mark the opening of the Synod. The statues had been brought to the Vatican by indigenous leaders from the Amazon region, which of course is the focus of this Synod. It set off a debate over why the figure, which appears to be a pagan fertility icon, was being used in a Catholic context. This video was posted online. It shows two men entering a church near the Vatican just before dawn. One enters the side altars and gathers up five of the statues and carries them out of the church. They proceed a short distance down the street to Castel Saint Angelo, where one by one, they knocked the statues off the bridge and into the Tiber River. If you're not familiar with Catholicism or Christianity more broadly, this might seem like a very strange story. You might be thinking, Lauren, why are you talking about this? I want to hear more about Miley Cyrus. That may be you. But okay, the thing is, <laughs> idolatry is a big no-no in, in Christianity. One of the biggest no-nos, I would dare say, if we're going off the Ten Commandments. You should yep. not do it. Um, and a lot of Catholics, by the look of it, the vast majority of Catholics online, 
did not really understand why an Amazonian fertility statue was being brought into their church and used in ceremonies. Um, so Liam is our resident Catholic on Hello. the show. I'm Protestant. I feel like I can still talk about this because I, I think I go to mass more often than a lot of Catholics do. So <laughs> you, you're going to hear my That's opinions true. about it. Um, so how do you feel about this before we go into it? Well, it's rough, but I think I'd preface it by talking about the Pope, first of all, who mm -hmm. I think has been a Good huge... Good Catholic move, okay, yeah. A huge disappointment. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, he's been a huge disappointment to, I think, a lot of Catholics, particularly yeah. traditional Catholics. Um, it's particularly sad for me because um, he's the first Jesuit Pope, which is an impressive order, and I went to a school that was run by Jesuits. Um, so it's really sad because I think that he's politicized a lot of what he does, yeah. and this is one example of that. Um, at first I was, yeah, I, I was a little bit confused as to what all the up, the uproar was about, but when I saw what was happening, when they actually had these, um, images of this pagan, yeah, it's pagan, a pagan God, yeah, pagan goddess in, in actual Vatican churches and chapels, that's when I was like, well, you know what? I mean, theft is always wrong and mm -hmm. we'll see a tweet about that in a second, yeah. but there's definitely some conditions around that. Right. No, for sure. And so a, a lot of, I would say like I, there was a poll I saw that had like, you know, tens of thousands of responses. I would say like a good 87% of Catholics didn't understand why pagan statues were in their church, um, supported the guys who threw it out. They were calling them heroes. I think the Vatican is saying they want an investigation over who those men were and, yep. you know, the thefts and everything. People were saying, I will like go fund me for their lawyers, whatever they need, these men, this, we need more people like that in the church. There were some other people though, who were, um, you know, very, very upset about the fact that there was a theft involved. We have an example of this here. Um, this was one of the more highly rated tweets relating to this when the original story was being shared from someone named Holly. Uh, she said, yep, theft, thou shalt not steal against the Catholic church and public scandal, not Catholic values. Good job, EWTN, which is the, the news network that was sharing it. So there, yeah, there were a lot of Catholics saying, how dare these men, you know, right. stealing, this is wrong. Um, stealing is wrong, I think. Yeah. And, and categorically almost it's wrong. Almost mm -hmm. basically always. I, I, as categorically wrong, that yeah. goes, right? Theft is wrong, but I don't actually think that this is stealing, first of all. I don't. I, for, they clearly did not intend on keeping the idols as they threw them into the river. Mm -hmm. I think that this is just, Colin stealing is miscategorizing what this is. This right. was a destruction of a pagan idol in a church. Yeah. And I think that there there's concepts like just war, and there are times when it is completely Christian to do something like this. It's 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 acceptable when Jesus goes into the temple and up and upturns the, tables, the merchants, yeah. right? No. So, yeah, I... I I think that this is not theft by any means. And I think that this was a moral action. Right. And that's that's what I think really got me about the people who are acting outraged about the the men who threw away the idols. Like, stealing is wrong, of course. But if you're more upset about two random men taking some wood carvings and throwing them away than you are the fact that your church brought in pagan idols to set up in your chapels, like you need to check your priorities, right? I mean... It, the, the fact that people would look at this and the, the main problem, the main takeaway is, oh, no, that those men shouldn't have done that. Like, really, you don't see maybe a larger, more systemic issue that this is a symptom of. And I think that's what so many Catholics who supported these men were trying to say. Like, hey, I don't like stealing either, 
But this is a problem here. These men are finally doing something. And I think a lot mm. of Catholics, like you were saying, don't feel represented by this current pope who, yeah. uh, this to me, even the inclusion of these figures kind of seems like a diversity inclusion virtue signal. It, it absolutely does. And I think that it's actually, this is a grievous sin on behalf of, of those involved in the church. And I think yeah. that there are, you know, people that are, that are within the church, priests and the like, and even probably bishops that are that are unhappy with what was going on there as well. Right. And I mean, I, I know some people might be thinking, oh, but like idolatry, is that really such a big deal? Is it worth making a big fuss about? It, it's, it's one <laughs> top of the commandments, right? And I think we have this tendency, which we're going to talk a, a little bit about in a second, to um, focus more on the secular aspects and teachings of Christianity, the whole love thy neighbor stuff, which is all good. But don't forget, the the most important parts are the way that we relate to God. And when it comes to idolatry, that is a sin against God. And we have this tweet from this one father who is certainly on board with what those men did. He says, regarding the stolen Vatican idols, it's worth noting that some of the idols were taken from the chapel of St. Barbara, who was martyred by her own father for refusing to worship idols. Okay, so if idol worship is actually worthy of martyrdom, like you refusing to do that qualifies you for, uh, as a martyr and for sainthood, and it's that serious that you would, you know, this person would rather die. Well, you died for your faith, yeah. That's th what then worship these, these idols. Mm -hmm. It's pretty serious. And I think the fact that we don't understand that it's serious kind of goes to show how more and more in the church our, our values and our morals have been coming from secularism. In, in, instead of from what is is biblical and that's that that's a huge problem and like this story caught my interest not necessarily because i care about these specific statues but i think it's representative of a larger problem you know a, a larger issue within christianity and across different groups right we see this in catholicism we see this in protestantism this is a problem everywhere there's a growing movement in christianity to conflate christianity with just like being nice or just being inclusive, social, like whatever it is, just like being a good person, um, which is not what Christianity is about. Now, you don't get me wrong, as Christians, like we should be nice, but that's not the main message of Christ. It's like he didn't come down to say, hey guys, be nice, you know, despite what I guess some Twitter atheists and apparently also unfortunately Christians think that is not the point of the Bible to tell you to be a good person. Um, some Catholics might say throwing out a different religion statue isn't very nice. What's wrong with trying to be more inclusive by featuring different cultures? And here's the thing. Not in a church. Not in a church, right? No. Uh, I'm not necessarily someone who thinks that being inclusive is, is a bad thing. But when it comes to the church, I think there should at least be the standard that this is the God we worship, not these other ones. And it's okay to say that. If you can't say we don't worship this pagan God in a Catholic church, then where, where can you say it? Right. Um, because you certainly can't say it anywhere else. And like the gospel isn't a let's be tolerant of everything message. OK, it's not. It's not a let's be nice and passive and happy, inoffensive Christians type of message. OK, it's for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. OK, classic John three sixteen. OK, that is the gospel. And now I, I believe that as Christians, anything you do should be done out of love because the gospel is about love. But if something gets away, gets in the way of that message rather, and yes, I would include idol worship here, then it's our, I think it's our responsibility to take action. And like screw being p polite in this like 
p politely call out idolatry, that'd be great too. But I think we're in a, in a situation now where that's just going to fall on deaf ears. Um, so yeah, it's like, so here we go. Being nice is great, but it's not the ultimate goal. And especially when we have something like this going on within the church, right? Because, because there are so many times in society where Christians will find themselves at odds with the mainstream. And the Bible tells us that this will happen, um, that we will be kind of in the world, but not of the world. And that's okay. That's just something that we have to live with. But when these types of I guess attacks against the faith and against biblical values are coming from within the church, then it becomes that much more serious. And I think mm -hmm. that's exactly what we were seeing here, unfortunately. And I think it's also good that uh, these guys showed a backbone. You yes. know, they showed, well, I'm willing to stand up for my faith. I'm willing to do something that is, you know, offensive to some. Uh, they filmed it, they put it out there. And, and I think it's a display of strength and a display that you take your values seriously. And I think if you see anything, like we just saw the Canadian elections where you have this, this like wet Kleenex of a person, Andrew Scheer, running for the <laughs> conservative government, you're like, you know, if he only stood by like conservative values, it would just go so much better for everybody. Yeah. But, you know, when you're this, this wet Kleenex that a lot of, I find, conservative movements have become under the pressure of like the liberal kind of yes. status quo, it's super unattractive to 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 the onlookers yeah. right so but i think people seeing this kind of thing it's a display of strength and it's a, it's actually something that i think would attract more people well that's the thing like christianity in a lot of ways and again this isn't exclusive to catholicism protestantism too has become weak neutered impotent on the defensive all the time we're too afraid to actually stand up for what we believe in. i mean if we look at like the church forefathers people were dying, being crucified for preaching their beliefs. Now we're we're too afraid to get rid of wooden idols within our own church. Are you serious? It, it just shows you how far things have fallen. I'm someone who I believe is like ultimately, um, you know, gates of hell will not prevail. I am sure of that. But I think we are at one of those times when, you know, future Christians will look back and they will condemn us and they will regret how weak and I, I don't know how... I guess, brittle we were in our faith, too afraid to do anything to stand up for it. And I think, you know, secularism is becoming more and more widespread and it's concerning to me, but it's it's even more concerning when you see how it's infiltrating churches itself because so many Christians out there, entire churches, they're not operating on biblical standards of morality. They're they're going for secular standards. Um, and the, the two overlap, absolutely. But don't make the mistake of thinking that they're the same thing. This past Sunday at church. Um, the homily was about church's heritage, right? And yeah. things like providing health care, education, the community, that kind of thing. And I, this priest, I have to say, I like him a lot. It's very rare that I like, I have issue with anything he says. He, he's, a, he's a good guy. But what really bothered me was that how he was talking about the church's heritage as this, you know, social services organization when he, he's kind of completely overlooking the fact that Christianity is, it's not just a heritage, it's not just a history, it's a current lifestyle now, it's a relationship that exists now in the present, and it, it's not meant to be this charitable organization worldwide. I mean, it can be that as well, but that's not, that's not its main purpose. So it's like, are, are, are you kidding me? I know focusing on things like uh, humanitarian work, it's not controversial. Even, you know, a lot of militant atheists will still be like, oh, well, at least the Christian, you know, they do some charity work and that's great. Um, and it's a lot easier to stick by that kind of things than, than it is evangelizing, which is controversial. But that's not what we were com 
compelled and ordered to do as Christians, right? Um, this priest explains it well. It was a, it was a, a clip that I found in the same places of the, the Pachama clip, and it's in, I think, Spanish, so apologies for people who are listening on the audio platform only. Uh, unless you speak Spanish, you won't be able to see the English subtitles, but uh, he's kind of saying the same thing I'm saying here. Una cosa que hablé en el sínodo que me parece fundamental es una presencia, una evangelización integral. Yo pienso uno de los, de los límites de nuestra presencia en América Latina, Amazonía, ha sido que en estos 40, 50 años se ha subrayado mucho la dimensión diaconal de la iglesia, el servicio. Y el peligro es caer una iglesia prestadora de servicios, es decir, manager de, de, de derechos humanos, de agencias de educación, de salud, pero sin tocar el corazón de la gente. Yo pienso que uno de los secretos es una iglesia que sea diaconal, una iglesia samaritana, una iglesia que sea magdalena, una iglesia capaz de anunciar Cristo resucitado. It's not, it's a good thing that Christians are so compelled to do charity work. It is. Oh, also, I apologize to our audio listeners. Oh, yeah, that because was, that was... Fully Hispanic. But yeah. he was saying what Lauren was saying, yeah. uh, basically. He was saying that the church is a lot more than just a, what would you call it, a humanitarian organization. Social and services, like, yeah. And don't get it, don't... It's not that that's bad. Right. No, that that is an offshoot of what the real mission is, right? Right, so, but it is not the core mission. He says, yeah. like, it, we can be a people, a group that is happy to help others, but our main goal, our main focus needs to be proclaiming the word of Jesus Christ, spreading the gospel. And I think for a lot of churches, they have lost sight of that. They have kind of morphed into these almost secular um, charitable organizations, which is like charity is good, but don't confuse yourself into thinking that you're actually living by the commandments of what we have been charged with doing by simply doing that because that's not the case. That's you're you're living by a very earthly standard, judging people's needs, right? You're you're saying, okay, this person's hungry, this person's this. I want to make them comfortable. As as Christians, our main goal, our main concern should not be comfort because we know that we're not promised comfort. These people will not be promised comfort, but what we can give them is the message of the gospel. And so you know, seeing all of this stuff with the, I think for a lot of Catholics, the the statues were kind of, what they represented was a larger problem they're having with the church. It's something that I definitely feel as well. And uh, if, if you're interested in, in topics like this and how secularism and even social justice specifically is infecting Christianity, I recommend you check out Ali Stuckey's show, Relatable. Um, you can find her anywhere we can be found podcasts, Google, iTunes, um, Spotify, as well as on YouTube. But this is this is a growing problem. And you know, speaking of living post politically, I think you know it, it's okay to say politics isn't everything. But when it comes to something like the church, like this, actually is like we can't ignore this. I would say this is way way more important than any political fight that's happening right now. Um, and we should all be very, very concerned with the way things are going. But um, I, I think that's pretty much all we have to say on those issues. Like I said, it was, I'm fiery about the last segment. But um, if you're watching live, please stay on the stream. We're going to be back in just a few seconds with some Q&A. And mm -hmm. aside from that, we'll see you guys next week.